Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike reminds us of God's ultimate blessing. You're in God's house. All of your coworkers are in God's house. God causes His Son to rise on the fields of the evil. He sends His rains on the crops of the just and the unjust. And if it's a good thing and they enjoy it, I'm just thinking, you need to remember, these are the gifts of God. Now, all of that should be seen as a secondary benefit. The ultimate benefit that we are proclaiming is Christ died for you. In Acts chapter 8, we read that after persecution broke out against Christians, Philip went into Samaria to spread the good news of Jesus, and he performed many miracles that God used to authenticate his message. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. Today, Pastor Mike Fabares explains that Christians today should also go out and do good things for others in order to advance the gospel. And now here's Pastor Mike with part two of a message called Grateful for the Secondary Benefits. Number one on your outline, distinguish eternal and temporal grace. They're all unmerited. We don't deserve anything good from God, but God does good things. And again, you're going to go, wow, I'm throwing a flag on that play right there because I cannot do those things. Maybe they were gifted to do those things, but I'm not a healer. Great. I get that. Speaking of Samaritans, there was a Samaritan that Jesus talked about in a parable that he told. And if you go there with us to Israel, you'll see we take a bus down a road that was probably parallel or near the road that they would walk on from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's called the Jericho Road, obviously. And it goes through a lot of elevations and switchbacks and through the crags of the rocks. You can see that if you're a robber, that's a great place to jump out from behind a rock and and rob someone. And that was a dangerous part of the travels in the ancient world. And so Jesus tells a story they could all identify with saying, hey, someone was on the road to Jericho. Oh yeah, that road. I know that road. That's, you better be careful. Watch your back on that road. Yeah. And you know what? A guy gets jumped and robbed. So he gets beaten and robbed and left for dead on the road. And he tells the story. This is the story of the good Samaritan, but it first starts with two Jewish guys that see a Jewish guy laying in the street and he's bleeding out and he's in pain and he's just been robbed and he's got no money. And first you get the Pharisee, you get the Levite, and they're like, eh, don't got time for that. You got a Samaritan that shows up in the story, and he shows up and sees the man who'd been beaten and robbed, and he walks up to him and he goes, presto changeo, abracadabra, and he's healed. That's the story, right? Is that what happens? No. I think I remember the story differently. Well, what do you remember about the story? What does the good Samaritan do? Oh, he does something that I think the wife of the guy that got beat when she finds out that he was left for dead on the road is really glad that the Samaritan did. He did something great, gracious, merciful. He takes his wounds and he pours his oil from his backpack or his knapsack or the donkey's bags and he pours it on the wounds and he takes wine, the antiseptic, and pours it on the wounds. He takes bandages and he bandages them up. He puts them on his animal. He takes them to an inn to convalesce. He pays the fee. Of course, the guy has no money on him because he's been robbed. And then he says, listen, guy, if he racks up any other bill or needs anything, I'll be back by this way and I will pay whatever bill he racks up. It's amazing. 
super gracious. And you know what the Bible says? That we are to go and do the same. And for God in this world, even if it's someone who's sick, though I can't say abracadabra, presto changeo, you're well, I can say, let me do what I can do. And you know what? It's more than what the Levite and the priest did. They didn't do it. Why? Because they didn't want to, as we often say around here, go the extra mile. They didn't want to stay the extra hour and they didn't want to spend the extra dollar, all of which this guy did. And Jesus says, you go and do the same. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. You know what? Philip could go in there where there were people that were paralyzed and say, hey, stand up and walk. You can't do that. What can you do? What can you do is the extension of God's grace in this world to do good things. Well, then that is what you can do, and that is what you ought to do, but you need to know that that is not all you should do. You should do what Philip was doing, which is both, because he recognizes one is a gift of grace, and it's good, but it's a temporal grace, and then there's another grace, and that grace is an eternal grace. I want you to have that eternal grace, and that distinguishing categorization of these two kinds of graces very helpful for us to think through. There was a lot of joy in the city. I'm hoping because some people that were repentant of their sins, that's the ultimate profound joy. But there was a lot of joy because people were healed. So, so there's a good response from people for both graces. But I just want you to distinguish the two. And one, I just want you to know, is better than the other. If I were to invite you over to my house this afternoon for a meal, come on over be there about four. And you say, wow, Pastor Mike. And I'd say, I'm going to cook. So you're like, ah, I'm not even going to have lunch. I hear he's a really good cook. And let's just see, this is all an illustration, very fanciful illustration, but let's just say I'm really good at cooking and I got my apron and everything. And uh, I put together an amazing uh, dip for you. And I got salad that I grew in the backyard. I'm just going. I, I'm, I'm, I've got this I got finger foods. I got appetizers. I got the best cashews you've ever tasted. I've laid everything out. I got it all going on. My wife's just feed up watching YouTube and I am, I'm doing it in the kitchen, whistling while I work. On the way over to my house, you did something really stupid. You got in an argument with a motorcycle gang and you were really dumb and you said things you shouldn't have and you even pulled your car over and you yelled at them and you spit in the face of a couple of them and they chased you down to my house. Well, you get in real quick and I noticed you were kind of going in the, in the front door really fast. I'm like, hey, you're here. It's fantastic. Hey, I got some chips. I got some stuff. You know, enjoy. And you're like, well, I'm getting, getting chased down by the motorcycle gang. They'll be here any second. <laughs> and I hear the motorcycle gang coming and it just so happened, because I'm really into safety, that I normally wear a bulletproof vest whenever I'm at home. So I've got a bulletproof vest on underneath my apron. And I go for my shotgun behind the door. And I, I can't get to it quite soon enough, because these motorcycle guys start coming through the front door. They got their guns out. And they're gunning for you. And I grab the shotgun as I throw myself in front of the bullets. And you duck behind me and I get a bunch of shots right here in my Kevlar vest as I rack one into the shotgun and blow them all away. I have the kids drag the bodies out to the outside. I shut the door and I say, try this dip, it's so good. And you sit down and you start having some meals, you know, this thing you didn't fix, I fixed it all. You know, you're 
a little bit sweaty, but you're just, there you go. You go at it, and I bring out the sizzling steak, and you start eating it, and you're like, oh, I've had it so much. Well, don't eat, don't fill yourself up, because I got this cake. Look at this cake, and I bring this cake out to you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 has never been introduced like that before. <laughs> a lot of pastors have said, turn to Deuteronomy 6. They never set it up like that, let me tell you. But with that in mind, look at this passage. And see if you can't see that all of these things, all of them, need to be kept in view, certainly by you. As you go into this world, knowing the connection between every good and perfect thing coming from God. And you know this, I just saved your life. And I also made you some cool dip. And I also gave you, made you a great salad. And I cooked some fantastic steaks. And I baked you a cake. And you're enjoying all of those. With all your enemies piled up outside, right by my trash cans outside, because they're dead. But you're alive. And I got a little bruise, and my ribs hurt a little bit, because those bullets kind of hurt. But I'm okay. I think at some point what you'd want to do at some point in the meal, probably often during the meal, um, be great, grateful, right? You should probably say thanks. I mean, there shouldn't be a moment in my house where you don't remember what I've done for you. And I would say, if all you did was focus on the one and not the other, whichever grace it was that you're concerned about, how I sacrificially gave my life for you and basically took a bullet for you and saved your life, or whether it was that I made you a fantastic salad. I just think you need to remember them all. Drop down to verse 10, Deuteronomy 6.10. Here they were coming into the promised land, and this is what God says in Deuteronomy 6.10 to them. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, that he swore to your fathers. <laughs> Let me go back in my illustration. I didn't even invite you, right? You were the plus one. I invited someone else, and you came with them, but I still did all that for you. God's promise to bring them into the promised land was a promise he made and they were benefits of it in the wake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the patriarchs. And God made that promise to them and said, yeah, you, you're, you're going to bring the plus one into the promised land. And that promised land, by the way, great and good cities. You didn't even build them. Houses, verse 11, full of good things that you did not fill. Cisterns, right? Wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and you're full and you're kicking back from the table, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Which, by the way, all those secondary benefits, really all, were subservient, in, at least in priority to this, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Think about how the Lord redeemed you. Look at verse 15. It is the Lord your God. You shall fear him. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. He should be the top priority for you. You always ought to remember the big thing and every other little thing, including this is a really cool well that I just got a great drink from, and I didn't even dig that well. Here's the thing. You're in God's house. All of your coworkers are in God's house. God causes his son to rise on the fields of the evil and the good. He sends his rains on the crops of the just and the unjust. And if it's a good thing and they enjoy it, I'm just thinking you need to remember these are the gifts of God. Now, all of that should be seen as a secondary benefit, the ultimate benefit that we are proclaiming is Christ died for you. You can be redeemed. You're a slave to sin. You can be a forgiven child of God, an heir with Christ Jesus. That, that's the big news. 
So if you never said thanks for the meal, even if I saved your life, I'd still think something's wrong. We have to remember these two kinds of graces. Is one better than, if I said, oh, you know what I was gonna cook, but I burnt the roast, and you didn't get anything to eat, if I just saved your life, I still think you should be thankful. If there's no secondary, but there are, there's so many of them. Just know you need to distinguish those. If Philip came with a message and didn't heal a single person, matter of fact, if he was just kind of a jerk about it all, but still shared the message. Hey, he's still offering them the words of life. But that's not how God asks us to do it. As a matter of fact, the paradigm, look at it back in our passage again in verse six. It couldn't be said better than this. As a matter of fact, we see what the signs are and they're supernatural. I get that in verse seven, healing the paralyzed. But look at verse six just as a paradigm for us. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And I just wanna say, you can't do the exact same signs he did, but you can do some. And they can be good and they can fall under the category of good graces of God. You can be an agent of God's grace to everyone around you. And that's a good thing. I put it this way, and it's got to be both and. Number two, do good and present the gospel. Do good and present the gospel. Do good and present the gospel. You, you've got to do both, and you should do both. You have to do both. Matter of fact, Jesus put it this way, and I don't want to press the analogy too far, but he said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, he said, you are salt and light, right? Salt has to, to remain salty. If it's not salty, what good is it? Throw it out. It's going to be trampled underfoot. It's no good. You've got to be able to taste it. And then he says, be light. Let your light so shine before men. Now, I know a lot of those may focus on the good deeds themselves because that's how it ends, right? The good deeds that we're doing before people. But I know throughout the scripture, the light usually categorically deals with the idea of the information that I'm sharing. Even as Jesus said in John 3, I'm stepping into the light and it's exposing my deeds. Or in 2 Corinthians 4, the light and glory of God reflected in the face of Christ, I'm getting information. So light, let's just look at it this way. The idea of information has to be there. I have to present the message of you are a sinner. Christ came to die in your place as though he were the sinner and he grants you eternal life. Repent of your sins and put your trust in him. That's a hard pill to swallow, but it should be surrounded by, I'm salt. What does that mean? I'm going to say salty. I don't want you to think of it as the idiom it is in English, we usually, but think of it as a biblical phrase. Salt, I know you've heard these sermons. It restrains and preserves things. It restrains evil. But it's also something that makes people thirsty. If I am one without the other, I got a, I got a deficiency. And I think for people like us, we study the gospel, we study how to defend it, but you need to make sure that everything is surrounded by the good that we do in effectuating positive impact on those around you. You have to be known for that. It has to be a part of who you are. We have to do good and present the gospel. Salt and light. Let me give you some examples of this. They paid attention to Philip. And you can be crass. Oh, it was only because he healed their friends. Oh, okay. And you may get a chance to share the gospel this week only because you are a good guy. Only because you are generous. I get that but we still got to do that. Turn with me to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. Here's an example. You cannot deny this is going to be getting people's attention. It will pave the way. You will get a hearing if you just practice this passage. They may reject your message, which we don't know, even in the passage we just studied, we're looking at today. If anyone in that 
paragraph is understood to have responded to the message of the Christ. I don't know. Later, we find out that there is response in Samaria, but you may have the people not respond rightly to the gospel because they don't want to see themselves as sinners. But I'll bet you'll get a hearing if you start doing things like this. Both and. By the way, let me make this parenthetical statement. You got a lot of people, not only churches, but individuals saying, I'm going to, this is how the old, this is a cute little slogan, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Have you heard that one? Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Um, cute, but dumb, okay? <laughs> Clever, but stupid. Um, you are not called to preach the gospel with your lives and think, well, it may not be necessary to, to use my words. It's always necessary to use your words. But you've got to understand the setting of what we might say, preaching the gospel or the secondary benefits or having the grace that comes as a temporal gift to people around us, that has to be done as well. As a matter of fact, it ought to be strategically done. And I know this is gonna make you feel a little weird, but let's look at the passage together. Jesus is telling a story about the, the shrewd, dishonest manager. And, and if you know the story, great, but here's the thumbnail. The guy is knowing he's going to lose his job, so he goes and gives people financial benefit by cooking the books, and, and the accounting gets a little twisted. He basically cheats his master, but he's giving people financial advantage so that when he gets booted from his job, he's got a couch to sleep on. Because if someone saved you $10,000 at work and then said, hey, uh, you know, I need a place to stay this weekend, you're like, oh, okay. You just saved me ten grand, Of course. You need to stay with me for a while? Absolutely. That's the parable. Then Jesus, look at verse 8. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Not for his dishonesty. Not for cooking the books, but for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd, they're more thoughtful, they're more strategic in dealing with their own generation, in this illustration, than the sons of light. And you should feel the slap. Ow. I guess they're more strategic and thoughtful than we are. And this is a parable about how a guy used finances to make them say yes when he needed a place to stay. Here's the punchline, verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, there's just a parenthetical when it fails, but here's the so that, so that they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, there's a lot packed into that, but let's just unpack it real quick. Unrighteous wealth. Okay, Bible doesn't put a big value on money the way most people do. They idolize it. They want a bunch of it. And we should be content with what we have. If God gives you a lot like Abraham, great. It's a blessing from God, but we should not let it consume us, right? It is the root, 1 Timothy 6, of all kinds of evil. It can be a bad thing. It's used for bad things every day. But one day it's going to fail. And money fails, and we both have the exact same economic status the day we die. You don't take any with you. I don't take any with me. We're both broke at that point. There's no money in my wallet that matters at that point. So money fails. So we're talking about crossing the threshold from this life to the next. And when we cross into the next life, what really matters is whether or not I responded to the call of Christ, which is to trust in God, trust also in me. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I come again, I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, you can be also. So you need an eternal dwelling with me. And you need to trust in God and you need to trust in me. That's great. I want an eternal dwelling. Good. I also now want to take in the meantime my worldly wealth and use it to, as weird as that sounds, make friends so that they can have an eternal, eternal dwelling. I want them to have one so that when it's barbecue time in the kingdom, I, hey, great. 
you can come, because here's the thing. I can use a lot of money to do a lot of things in this life, but if I can use it to pave the way to do something about securing them in the eternal dwelling, which is going to involve the gospel, which is going to involve presenting Christ, then that would be a good use of my money. And that is all about paving the way. Well, how did the shrewd, unrighteous manager pave the way? He gave people an economic advantage. He gave them that. Now, he did it with someone else's money. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. With anyone else's money, don't steal money to give to someone else and say, now, let me share the gospel with you. Nope. I want you to take your money and do exactly what this passage says and make friends with that money so that God might enable you to do exactly what he has in view here, making sure those people got a place in the eternal kingdom. And all I'm telling you is, if you don't think money gets people's attention, when you are generous with your money with them to give you a hearing about anything, they'll sit there and listen to you talk about politics if you are a generous person with your money. Right? I guarantee you. Right? I mean, go and, and skunk the, the waitress with no tip and try and talk to her about anything. Give her $100 for a tip today after, at lunch and see if you won't be able to have a conversation. I mean, it opens doors. And the Bible's very clear about that. And that may sound weird to you, but the Bible says he's entrusted you with things, whatever they might be, to utilize those as secondary graces. Is it not a grace for someone to be economically advantaged in some way? If you can do that, that secondary grace might pave the way for you to have them pay attention to you presenting Christ, which is exactly what our passage is doing. The signs were pointing people to Philip's message, and they were at least listening. And we know some of them later were going to respond. If any of you in this room are not known as generous people at your work, you got a problem, right? You ought to be the most generous. If you're invited to some coworker and they're having a birthday party or they're having a baby, so you're going to their, their shower or whatever, you ought to be someone that's generous. I mean, you can do that to a place of social awkwardness. And I'm not saying, you, hey, I got a new car for you outside. That might be weird. But for you to go the extra mile, and in this case, literally spend the extra dollar, the extra 20 bucks, the extra 40 bucks, the extra 80 bucks, right? I guarantee you that's going to make friends and give you opportunities to talk about things that matter, which are ultimately the eternal grace of the gospel. You're listening to Focal Point, and we're in the middle of a month-long motivational series from Pastor Mike Fabares called Gospel Advance. Today's message is titled, Grateful for the Secondary Benefits. And if you want to hear this entire uncut message, then simply go to our website, focalpointradio.org. And I'm sure you'll agree that January is an important time for all of us to establish healthy habits, including the healthy habit of generosity. So this year, please consider signing up to become a Focal Point Partner. When you automatically give each month, you're providing the financial strength and stability our ministry needs to expand in 2024. And to thank you for your gift, this month we'll send you a highly rated book written by well-known evangelist Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams titled, How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. 
Ask for this month's featured resource when you set up your monthly gift or make a one-time donation by calling 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. And you can give and request the book online at focalpointradio.org. And if you're not quite ready to give just yet, we'd still like to hear from you. Give us a call and we'll send you a helpful booklet titled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. This easy-to-read booklet demonstrates the 100% accuracy of Bible prophecy and why you can confidently put your trust in God's Word. Get your copy when you get in touch at focalpointradio.org. Well, throughout history, Christians have generously blessed their communities with food pantries, shelters, wells, hospitals, institutions of higher education, and so much more. And while these are wonderful blessings, we need to remain focused on the greatest gift of all, salvation through Jesus Christ. I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to hear the conclusion of this three-part message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Grateful for the Secondary Benefits that's coming up Tuesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.